Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. Today we are delighted to speak with Sue Chang Harris Simpson. Sue Chang is the visionary founder behind the Women Empowerment Council, or the WEC, an organization dedicated to promoting gender equality in business, in China, and beyond. Sue Chang has been an active member in the Beijing business community for three decades. Before moving into entrepreneurship and eventually founding the WEC, she worked at Boeing, the Capital Club in Beijing, and United Technologies Corporation. She's also a long-standing board member of the American Chamber of Commerce in China. In this episode, Su Chang shares her journey from working at Boeing to starting her own consultancy in Beijing and eventually pivoting to philanthropy and women's empowerment. We delve into the WEC's initiatives, including its upcoming conference, where they will release a white paper that outlines policy recommendations for empowering women. And if you're going to be in Beijing on September 13th, all listeners of the negotiation can get a 20% discount off of the tickets for the Women's Empowerment Conference and Awards using the link and the promo code found in the show notes of this episode. Enjoy. What's the gap? And then how do we try to mitigate those gaps? We're holistic. We're a person. You know, it's not like one thing will fix everything. And I think that's been in many ways difficult. This is why WEC, we're holistic. We look at it from a holistic view of a human being, both men and women, the needs, and not to say, oh, do this and then the needle will change. No, if you're looking at family planning, it has to really start quite early in the woman's career when they're thinking about it through when they actually get pregnant and even afterwards. So there is a lot that I think all of us can do, both men and women, then allow affording all of us choices to be able to be whole and contributing people and leaders in our work, our family, our society and so forth. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Sue, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Todd, for having me. Now, as we usually do, what city are you in as we record today's episode? I am currently in Beijing, China. Just landed back last Friday and um, from two and a half months of traveling in the U.S. And so I'm happy to be back home. You know, usually a lot of people take the summer. I don't know why people don't go back home for the winter. I can assume why. Um, but yes, everybody goes back in the summer a lot of times uh, and go see their, their first home or their second home, depending on which way you're going. So, uh, well, it's really, really great to have you. Thank you very much. Uh, you have been a stalwart of the Be uh, Beijing business community. But before we dive into the work that you know, the Women's Empowerment Council does. Can you tell us just a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Beijing? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question, Todd, because I've 
this year I would have been in Beijing for 30 years. And, um, you know, it's been a journey. I started, um, I'm from Seattle. I was born in Taiwan, but grew up in Seattle and um, basically wanted to travel and um, see the world, but uh, work as well. Uh, but right out of college at the University of Washington, I went to work for Boeing. And then that was kind of a ticket, a thought that, hey, why don't I um, sell airplanes? You know, that'll get yeah. me globally yeah. traveling, right? Um, but back then, if you wanted to do that to get into the sales and marketing department of the Boeing company, you either have to have an MBA and or you are an engineer. And I wasn't going to go back for an engineering degree, but I thought, okay, MBA, I can do that. And I was afforded um, back then to uh, that. Boeing actually, this is a great thing. Boeing paid for my MBA and I was able to um, do that. And But that's what brought me to China. I was able to do one year of uh, independent study in Beijing. And that really opened my eyes to China. And being Chinese American, uh, I was I'm just like, wow, this is would be a great experience. So I landed um, in 1995, first time, and then uh, traveled back and forth a little bit and then been here ever since. Go Huskies. Here, here. Yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> also go yeah. Seahawks. Yes, yes. Now, you've worked, as you said, at some very established companies like Boeing and also UTC or the United Technologies Corporation. But... You've had such an established corporate career. What inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Well, let me maybe go back a little bit. So once I land in Beijing, I really um, fell in love with the country and the city. And I worked um, back. I was hoping to kind of come work for Boeing continue to work for Boeing in Beijing. Uh, but uh, at that time, um, McDonnell Douglas was merging with Boeing, so that didn't work out very well. But what was great was because I did have one year of independent study in um, Beijing where I worked for Hill and & Knowlton. And uh, through that, uh, met a lot of uh, just business community leaders. And then ended up when I came back uh, full time, then in 97, I got a job working for the Capital Club, which is the premier business club at that time. And um, who's who's of Beijing was a member of that club. And that's how I then uh, met Richard Latham, who was the head of UTC uh, back then. And um, then I worked for UTC for five years. And during this whole entire time of working, I've even looking back on my Boeing days, I would call myself kind of an independent contributor, a closet entrepreneur in many ways. So um, I basically work in um, project management areas, um, in uh where is a lot of business development areas and um, planning events and logistics, those kinds of things. And um, because of that, I think that really build upon uh, the concept of being entrepreneurial. And um, I, like many women who, when it come, I was a later, uh, older mom, I was a more mature mom that, um, when we had we had our daughter, my husband and I had our daughter in 2002, and um, my husband uh, is travels a lot, and therefore with our uh, you know young young baby, I really had to think about uh, was 
what do I do? And um, so I, I decided that I would, um, I would leave the corporate uh, environment and at that point was going to be a full-time mom. <laughs> and, but because of that time in China, which, you know, Todd, is that there was a lot of growth, amazing energy that was happening here in Beijing and China. And I was just because I was with UTC and lots of things are happening, projects are happening, the U.S. Embassy, lots of new organizations coming into China and companies. Um, I then was, um, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll try my hands out on being just a freelancer. And that's kind of how my uh, being a closet entrepreneur uh, basically came opened. And in 2009, I started my own company, SCHS Asia, um, Su Chang Harris High School. (laughs) Lots of people go SCHS Asia. I was hoping for SCH, but that was already taken. So SCHS Asia, um, where we're really a consulting company um, focusing on working with a lot of uh, in industry of travel, um, events, PR, marketing, those kinds of things. So uh, I feel very blessed that that happened because it really then steered me in a whole new direction here in China. Well, let's give a quick shout out to that. Where can people, do you have a website? Is there somewhere that some that people can go and check that out? Well, the, the interesting thing is this. Um, China has evolved in the 30 plus years, as you can imagine. And I... Um, about seven years ago, I really pivoted because I felt I wanted to do more uh, in the area of philanthropy, education, and women empowerment. And so I then, I, I didn't no longer wanted to do uh, certain projects or events kind of businesses. I wanted to pivot to something that I felt that I really, that was meaningful to me. And that was impactful. And so I looked, you know, reflecting back on my career path, really looking at what I was that I felt passionate about. And women empowerment really jumped out in the forefront as I looked. Everything I did had some kind of tie to that education, women, girls and philanthropy giving. So I then pivoted to to that and then decided to start a restart um, SCHS Asia in rebranding it to the Women Empowerment Council, which is what we are today. So we have our website, www.womenempowermentcouncil.com. So please visit. That's a classic entrepreneurial path, though. I mean, it's the old mantra of just start, right? It, you go just start and go into do something. And then on the path of doing that something, you will find your true passion and your true self And then, like you did, you can then just pivot into that. But one typically leads into the other. But I think too many people wait for that light bulb opportunity of what is really what they really want to do instead of just like just set off uh, down the road, just get on your journey and it will reveal itself upon, you know, going through that path and the ups and downs and the emotional hurdles and everything that you do then you're going to really find out what it is that you truly love and then like do like you did and really pivot into that. So we are going to jump into that in a minute. We're getting going to get into the WEC, but I first want to just 
quickly touch on the fact that you've been heavily involved with the American Chamber of Commerce in China. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your role there and what's going on at the chamber these days. Um, great question. And um, well, AmCham, you know, in so many of these years, ever since the first day actually landed, I um, been very involved in AmCham. And back then, I think you might have interviewed a famous person named Jane McGregor. And he was the first person I met landed in Beijing. And back then, I was, as I mentioned, was doing my independent M MBA program. I interviewed him. And from that moment on, of course, he turned me on to AmCham and um, never looked back. So I've been a member ever since then. We've had James twice, actually. Oh, cool. Yes. He's a great friend, him and Kathy, uh, in Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> great fun. Um, just, uh, you know, I think that's the strength of AmCham uh, China in the sense of the community and the people. And that's how come I know I kind of grew up in this community. And uh, back when, when I was working for UTC, part of my portfolio job was to work with AmCham. And AmCham advocates for American businesses doing business in China. And it made sense. And so, and I have a great leader, you know, boss, uh, as I mentioned, Richard Latham, who then empowered me to be a leader and um, encouraged me to actually run uh, for the board. And I have to say, I was probably one of the younger back then <laughs> uh, board members. And um, it was it was an eye-opening experience for me to be involved, engaged. And I really do believe, you know, this is a good thing about American it, it is volunteerism. We believe in that. You know, what you put in is what you get out. And that's what I did. And um, met amazing, amazing people great leaders, um, and learn a lot and in many ways build a business uh, around that. And um, today, you know, it's really have changed a lot. Uh, but AmCham is steady. You know, Colm Rafferty is current uh, chair of AmCham. Uh, Michael Hart is the president, you know, working um, hard to really try to be the bridge for the business community and the U.S., and uh, the Chinese government as well. Not easy uh, in the current day situation that we won't go into, but I believe it is um, leadership, uh, people on the board of AmCham. That's why I want to be involved. I want to have a say. I want to be impactful, uh, make a difference. And I really encourage all women, all women, men as well, but they're at the table usually, but more women to be engaged and involved and run for board seats like AmCham and other organizations because your voice is important. And having diverse, you know, AmCham is a representative business community. That includes SMEs, that includes individuals and large corporations. And all the voices there add value. And I really believe that having diversity in voices is helps an organization make better decisions and have the growth opportunity that it's needed. So I encourage anyone who's coming to, you know, China to look us up at AmCham and, um, you know, be a part. And anybody who's currently in China or Beijing to get involved. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is just one of the best communities that business people can be a part of. And if you want to, I wouldn't say shortcut success, but if you want to ease the burden of all that is expanding into China or going to China for business, that's a great way to do it is, is to learn from others who, who have done it before you, learn from both their successes and their mistakes. And that is one of the best communities that you could possibly get involved with out there. So commend you on that. I was going to mention too, my wife, uh, when I lived in China, she was the manager of the Amcham Dalian office for four years. And I don't know if you know this, Sue, but you are, you're talking to a former AmCham golf tournament champion right now. I actually won the tournament uh, way back a long time as a, as a younger, more flexible person who could uh, uh, swiftly swing a club. So I just thought I'd, I'd throw that out there because I know everybody really needed to know that. Uh, I, I kid. I just want to interject right there a little bit about AmCham. That, that, again, this is what is so much fun if you look back reflecting, right? I mean, that was the community. We played golf together. You know, there was the charity ball that I was involved in that we put together. And now this is my third term as um, the Am- on the AmCham uh, board. So, you know, it is really what you put in is what you get out. But like you said, those are the fond memories um, of being a, a, in a community when we look back. Yeah. And we raised a lot of money. We raised a lot of money. I think over, we, we had about a two or three year fundraising plan to put in an entire heating system for a rural school in Kaifachu outside of Dalian. And I mean, it was really expensive. It took a, a few years to, to get it all together, but working with the AmCham and the International Club of Dalian and some things. And so, yeah, this, this, this poor school, and you know how cold it can get up north there in Beijing and Dalian. This school had no heating at all. So we were able to, you know, buy and install a, a heating system for the entire building. So it was great. It was great. And that's just some of the stuff that AmCham does. Right. Well, I just wanted to add that because I think it's so important when you ask about um, AmCham. And what I love about it is the community, right? And we, you know, we live, we work and we derive our income uh, from uh, China in Beijing, especially. So I think it's, for me, it's important to give back. And that's why I've been involved with AmCham. Um, and I started there, um, the American charity, you know, the charity ball. And now it's the American ball. And like you said, we raise a lot of money for local um, endeavors, you know, to support, you know, orphans to girls uh, and women's health, you name it. And so I've, I've, I feel proud to be a part of the community that way. Yeah, as you should, as you should. Something else that you should be very proud of is the, the WEC, you know, the Women's Empowerment Council. I first heard about this from a friend of mine, Emily Roblin, who I met, oh, of course, is married to another good friend of mine, Richard Robinson. Richard and Emily, if you're listening, I know you guys moved to Indonesia, but we're still angling to get you on the show because they are two amazing people. I know you shared some of the story, I think, of your personal journey to starting the WEC, right? Being a female entrepreneur, also being a mother of a daughter, right? And so, and I think when that's the case is you look at your own existence now, but you can't help it as a mother to think about what is now, if this is what I'm facing, if this is what I'm going through, how do I make the world a better place so that 20 years from now, my daughter has a better opportunity, has a better environment, 
to exist and to grow and to flourish in than I had? And what can I do to make that come to fruition? So I started, I, I just wanted to know a little bit more about the founding of the WEC that maybe you hadn't touched on before and some of the challenges that inspired you that you encountered along the way as a female entrepreneur in China. Thank you. Wow. I have to say, first of all, I feel very blessed. Um, been able to, you know, start a company and actually do well. And um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, about seven years ago, um, we partnered with AmCham, American Chamber of Commerce, as you know, um, back then to work on the, um, it, the it, it was called the Women's Empowerment Summit back then. And the reason I did that is because just to regress a bit, um, I started the uh, AmCham Ameri- uh, Women's Professional Committee because I felt, again, the need. And this is, um, wow, I want to say maybe about 15 years plus ago. And as you know, AmCham has different forms and committees and so forth. And I felt there was not um, a a voice for women and support um, as part of the membership. So I was... um, I, along with Jennifer, who was at then back then working for Oshkosh, um, the the truck company, that uh, we went to the board and say we feel the need to establish a women professional committee, and through that, I've um, been involved as one of the co chairs ever since its inception, and we started the Women's Imp- uh, Economy Summit as a a, where to, uh, a way to bring more awareness, and so I partner. Um, my company then, SCHS, SCHS Asia, partnered with AmCham to have the Women's um, Economy Summit. And as I was going through this one, every year we have this amazing event and lots of people come together. But the question keeps coming up. Why haven't we moved the needle? I mean, we're still talking about pay gaps. We're still talking about, you know, all the burdens. And we're still talking about, you know, needing women in leadership positions, having on board and having to constantly justify always, you know, what's the return? What's the return? And I just like, gosh, we have to get beyond that conversation. And we got to start action, actually having actionable things to move the needle. And so this is where about, um, I would say seven years ago, you know, seven, eight years ago, when starting to ask that question, I then reached out to some of the leaders in the community, multinationals, heads of multinational, asking that question, both men and women. And they were also like, oh, yeah, why haven't we? And then when we start looking at statistics and so forth, it's like, oh, I mean, back when I was working at Boeing, it was 72 cents a dollar. Okay, men, same job, getting a dollar and women getting paid 72 cents. Okay, fast forward many years, um, about 2025, we're talking about now, if you're being very generous, 82 cents. So why? And so, you know, we all know if you look on some of the websites for some data, you know, you have numbers like from UN that says, oh, we won't, we won't get to parity for another 130 years. And sometimes some certain countries more than that. And you kind of go, hmm, for as much as, well, women were made up 50% of the population. Why is that? Why is that? And it's not like we're not capable. I mean, all the research 
study shows we're capable, we're ambitious, we're all of that. So I think that's why, because of those questions in my mind, and I'm a doer, I want to make things happen, I want to make the impact. I said, this one-off event is not going to do it. And that's where I started embarking, thinking about, you know, talking to various leaders of companies to say, are you interested if you're curious and want to really understand how to bridge gaps, try to make it faster? I always said, let's get on the fast train here in China. We're all like speedy. So what can we do? And then that the 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 sea was planted, and that's why in 2019, toward the end, we I started um, I pivoted and said, okay, we're going to just start the Women's Empowerment Council, and all we're going to do is focus on that empowering women and girls and helping to bridge gaps. And how do we do that? We bring together like-minded leaders. And then really, when you talk about empowering women or making changes, it really has to come from the top. There's just no if, buts, what about it? If you don't have leadership, you know, top leadership, executive level sponsorship of that initiative, programs, whatever it may be, it's not going to move. The needles are just not going to move. So I was fortunate that I was able to... um recruit some like-minded and very um, supportive companies that were on this journey together. Uh, and we, we started the Women's Empowerment Council with like, it's a membership organization. Uh, we had three, four companies that came together. And uh, today, you know, we have uh, 13. So it's been a journey. And we, I have to say everybody is on a different journey. Every company, I don't believe to say, we're not here to shame or to point fingers. We're here to say, if you believe in that, what we're doing, and if you want to make an impact and change, join us and let's work together uh, to, to bridge the gap, to move the needle. And that someday this is a moot point. We don't have to talk about this anymore. That was well said. Thank you very much. Um, applaud, round of applause for everything that you're doing. I loved every piece of that. I know that you are coming up on your annual conference and awards here in early September. Tell us a little bit about the history of the event and what's in store for this year. The last few years, it's been quite challenging for COVID. all of us, COVID. And so, we, but we were again, very supported by the leaders and our members that we were able to have it online. Um, but uh, last year, we were very fortunate to actually have it in person in Beijing and over 300 plus attendees. And this year, we have our conference on September 13th. And again, uh, we will also have that evening, our Women Empowerment Awards in China. So we really believe in uh, maximizing uh, people, our members' time and the community's time. So we make it very robust by having a conference in the afternoon and then ending with a celebration of the awards in the evening. And um, we, we, you know, invite everybody to come if you're in Beijing um, and uh, we'll have a website for you to register and everything. It's very, very exciting. We have where the topic is very on time, timely about family planning. 
you know, and you probably um, know, Todd, that, you know, it was one child policy, then to two child policy. And now we're talking about three child policies so, and beyond. And as you also know, first time uh, last year is the first year that um, China has its declining uh, birth population. And with that, I do believe very strongly, yes, we need to have a growing population in order to have a growing economy and have jobs for both men and women. However, women are the one that bears the burden and brunt of having children. And so it's really important to understand why, why women are not or why family, men and women families are choosing not to have babies or perhaps as our research paper we're launching says starting later, you know, so what are the, what are the pain points that's causing uh, families to choose not or waiting or not having children? And what we want to say is that companies, society, government, all of it needs to come together to make it easier for women to carry that extra burden. You know, we're talking about equity here. I mean, if you ask me, if, when I have conversation with my husbands and with my husband, when I was talking about having baby, you know, or babies, I said, hey, you can have the baby. I'll go to work. <laughs> no, no problem. But until that day, someday, maybe, you know, technology may make that happen. Don't know. But bottom line is that it's time. You know, it's time uh, that you will take off. You need to take off uh, to have the baby and support and so forth. So with that, our conference will uh, talk about that. We'll be launching the Healthy Women, Healthy Economy uh, report on uh, family planning here. It's um, commissioned by Merck, Merck Group. And we're so excited to work with companies, you know, lighten companies that want to really ask the why, but more important than the how and, you know, how do we do it? How to, how to share best practices, how to move the needles and so forth. So that we have an amazing uh, panel and we're supported by UN Women. We're supported by the All China Women Federation. And then we have some amazing, um, you know, entrepreneur, as you see, that are doing a lot of great work in FinTech. You know, um, it's, it's amazing that, we, you know, the amount of investment now that's being put into women's health. And that's, it's, it's about time, as I say, to focus on uh, women's health as we are the one that are um, bearing the children. I'm glad you went into the white paper. That was something that I wanted to talk about. Very excited for the release of that. And I think it is, I shouldn't opine too much as the host, but on this one thing, I do think it is very important that we call on the current female leaders that do exist out there and ask them to, to get involved. It's very important that they do. I think for a lot of young women to look up to them as leaders, to aspire to their achievements and their success is very important. And I know that throughout history, we've seen this work well so many times, even go a little bit lateral from business and go into a sports where, you know, 70 years ago or, you know, 60 years ago, I think China put forth an effort to want to make basketball popular. They wanted to start to see more 
sports become popular. And this goes into the Yao Ming background and story there. And I won't get too much into it, but there was a effort put into producing extremely incredible basketball player that could join the NBA and dominate and become a celebrity. And when that happened, you saw millions of kids in in China playing basketball. And there are basketball courts everywhere. And everybody loves it and became enthusiastic about it because they held up that that Yao Ming kind of banner as the hallmark of what could be achieved. And so it became something that everybody wanted to do. I have to ask forgiveness to anybody who finds it not okay that I make these references or draw these similarities. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm, I'm doing it well or not, but I think it is just really, really important for us to kind of hail on those that have been there and are successful and are the leaders and ask them to to come. And if we want to have a generation of young women standing up and, and taking charge of their lives and being successful, knowing that they can have it all and that it is within the scope of reality that they can do it, why shouldn't they? Then that's that's a great path forward to be able to do it. And, and I know that the WC is is doing everything they can to to promote that as well. Yes. I can't agree with you more, Todd. Role modeling you know, role models, right? We all know that when we see uh, leaders um, out there, we aspire to be like them. Just like you said, Yao Ming or Li Na or any, you know, those, it's not easy, you know, but by having that, especially even business, this is why it was so important to have more and more leaders in C-suites that are women. Because when they're not there, then we don't see ourselves there. And so it's been challenging why it's people ask me this is why, you know, why women, women work. I have a lot of women who work for me and so on and so forth. And it's not about why women, it's the positiveness from being diverse and inclusive of everyone. It's not about men against women or vice versa type of thing. It's about together. You, it takes two, you know, when Hillary said it takes a village, it does. And why should women have to choose between work and family? You know, is that I believe society, I believe companies, I believe countries flourish when they're inclusive and bring in the diversity. You know, if you have all mathematicians in one room, well, guess what? The product's not going to get sold, you know, whatever it is. So we know those facts. And this is why I say, you know, going back from you saying role models, but importantly, companies, society, individuals, government have a role to play in that, in having all role models in every sphere, from sports to business to Government, you need that in order and television, right? I mean, in, in, in entertainment, we see, but we need more of that in, for sure in business and women leaders. And this is why WECs exists to help companies really build a pipeline and figure out what's causing or what, what's the gap, you know, what's causing it, what's the gap. And then how do we try to mitigate those gaps? 
we're, we're holistic. We're person. You know, it's not like one, one thing will fix everything. And I think that's been in many ways difficult. This is why WEC, we're holistic. We look at it from a holistic view of a human being, both men and women, the needs and not to say, Oh, do this. And then the needle will change. No, you have to be able to look at if you're looking at family planning, it has to really start quite early in the woman's career through when they're thinking about it, through when they actually get pregnant and even afterwards and so forth. So there is a lot that I think all of us can do and both men and women and then allow affording all of us choices to be able to be whole and contributing uh, people and leaders in our our work, our family, our society, and so forth. I couldn't have said it better myself, so I won't even try. That was amazing. Again, another round of applause from everybody listening or watching. That is excellent. Thank you very much for that. Last question I have for you, Sue. What are some of the most important pieces of advice that you would give to a company in China on how they can become more equitable. For example, what are some of the most impactful policy changes a company could introduce in order to become more equitable in the workplace and in China? Wow, that's a fully loaded question. There is a lot. But I think the key point I would like to say to leaders that are, you know, in any company is awareness. You know, why do you want um, to have a diverse uh, workforce? And what's the value that brings? And if you believe that it should be diverse, which includes women, men, you know, there's diversity is a whole bunch of everything. But as a leader, if that is your belief, then being aware of it, then that's the first step. And then being able to say, okay, now I'm aware. What can we do? And then holding people accountable. A lot of policies are out there. But actually implementing them and holding leaders accountable Lots of companies have KPIs around their diversity, inclusion, work, and metrics, and so forth. However, are we actually walking our talk, every leader? And are the top, top leaders holding everybody else accountable or themselves actually believing in it? You know, as I always say, talks cheap, action speaks louder, and but the first thing is being aware as a leader why your company is embarking on this journey and getting everybody on board from top to bottom, especially middle management, in my opinion, because it's hard. You know, we're all busy. We all have numbers to achieve, you know, small companies to large companies. It's difficult, especially when economies are bad. But we can't, if you believe in it, it's even more important that you hold people accountable and say, or else all the work that you've done in the past 
what's the, what's it for? This is why the needle hasn't moved is because it's always constantly shifting. It is should not be the flavor of the day. It should be a part of your core values and mission to be having a diverse workforce, having being inclusive. And if your goal is to have more leaders that are diverse, that look like of the population, then women is 50%. <laughs> it just cannot be, you know, a struggle why we continue have to justify everything. It should be part of your core mission. And then, you know, awareness building to accountability, to constant putting resources behind it. It's all great to talk, yeah, but when there's no money to do anything, well, it's not going to go anywhere. The needles are going to stay there. If not anything, go backwards. So I really encourage leaders to look at that. Look at themselves, first of all. I always look at myself and say, am I, am I walking my talk? And if you really believe in it, you know, and if you want to be a part of an impactful, because not one, there's one person can only do so much, but together we can do great things. And this is why the power of WEC is that together we will go faster and we learn, we share, and we influence each other to make that greater impact and positive for society and for women, you know, girls, but more importantly, as well as for men. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about is, as we know, unfortunately, money talks and nowhere is that stronger than when you're looking at a company's bottom line. We tend to support companies now that are sustainable uh, in the past that, that followed good CSR principles. We can impact in a way with our, our pocketbooks. I mean, women still do more of the spending than men do. They make more of the financial decisions on what's purchased and what's bought. And you can influence where the money flows if you're paying attention to the equality of a company. So as much as I love people paying attention to companies that are, are sustainable, that have green practices, that you know, are, are kind of low carbon emissions, you know, whichever you want to take. We have to make it known and have some sort of, of litmus for, for how equitable companies are and how equitable their, their, their salaries might be across the board. And then we have to support the ones that are equitable with our spending and potentially harm the ones that are not by not spending on them. And that is one of the ways that, that really we can impact. They'll, they'll notice when it starts to hit that bottom line. Yes. I talk, I do a lot of these, um, you know, speaking at engagements at conferences or to just um, groups and so forth. And I remind women all the time uh, that especially women entrepreneurs, I said, you know, your purchasing power is huge. Not only are you making decisions on what to buy, where to buy, and from who um, with your business, but as well as your home. You know, I have probably 95% purchasing power for my household. 
And I always joked about it because I said, okay, leave 5% for my husband to buy the electronics or whatever <laughs> that he wants. Golf clubs. But reality is that, you know, I make the decision, which, you know, really um, the house, the cars, the education, all of that, not 100% alone, but reality at the end of the day, you know, that's where women's, you know, purchasing power comes in. And as an entrepreneur, for sure, you know, 100% of the decisions. So you're right on the money, literally, <laughs> when we say, where do we spend our money? You know, and, and I think there are organizations out there that are trying to do that, that are education, uh, you know, like um, Reconnect, um, which is, uh, that supports women entrepreneurs is based out of Washington, DC, showcasing uh, purchasing power and asking companies to support women entrepreneurs in actually you know, access to business is very important. And then we as consumers, you know, really can look at companies that are doing good things, both um, in all areas, right? As you say, um, that would be able to help to at least bridge the gap a little bit. I think we need to replace the support local, the the made in America, the made in China. Let's replace that all with, with made through equitable pay and uh, opportunity. I think there's a lot of a lot of good that can be done. I love that you're leading this charge and I love that you were able to be with us on the podcast today. Su Chang Harris Simpson, founder of the Women Empowerment Council. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Todd, for having me. It's been great. Again, for everybody watching us on YouTube, don't forget we have the podcast in audio form on all your favorite podcast platforms, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And for those listening to us on the audio version, don't forget that we do have the YouTube channel over at WPIC's YouTube channel. You can find all the episodes over there. So for me and everybody at The Negotiation and for Sue Chang, Harris Simpson, we appreciate you listening or watching today and we hope to see you next time. Bye-bye. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.